I mean, just just people. give us a quick burst of Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers and see how it goes. Peter Piper picked a pepper pick off pebbles peppers whatever that is. That sounded. I I didn't get any massive thwomps on my end. Uh, really, my my screen's just covered in spit everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the audio's fine. <laughs> Clean your mind off, that's no problem. It's good to be back. Now, full disclosure, we did actually try and record an episode a few weeks back maybe a month back but we did it on some app i heard it it didn't sound too great sound quality wise and i sounded really depressed in most of that podcast i think lockdown was just getting to me so let's just pretend it never existed mark well yeah that that first one was in that sort of um first stage of of lockdown where we were weren't quite sure what was going on um I think that the main thing in terms of audio was that that stage there was a load of um, sort of free gifts lots of companies had started giving out. Um, I think that seems to have eased off a bit now, but we're I think a bit more familiar with this bizarre state of the world. Yeah, I'm I'm very much used to just literally spending all day and every day at home, working from home, just doing everything at home. It's It's kind of just become... I think it was really weird at first. It took me ages to get into the rhythm of it, but now it's just like, it's it's second nature. It's amazing how you adapt. But yeah, uh, how are you? Apart from obviously being locked down in your house or trying to maintain lockdown rules, depending on, you know, what you listen to, what advice you listen to. Uh, yeah, no, I'm all right. Uh, um, yeah, just uh, the, the main... Like, Having to be in all day myself is fine. The main problem is, of course, uh, musically, is that the neighbours are in all the time as well, which does restrict the uh, <laughs> the cranking up of the uh, amplifiers and such. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I guess I guess you can. Well, you know what? It's if if you're doing it in the middle of the day, then I as long as you're not like you know like absolutely trying to do it to like stadium levels, I think you're absolutely fine. You know, at the end of the day, yeah, everyone's at home, but everyone's also allowed to be. You know, and as long as you're 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 playing some good stuff you know you're not like making their ears bleed with like, ah, the some problem absolute... is of course that my neighbors have terrible taste <laughs> <laughs> well then in that case you it, it's your civic duty to kind of like play them you know give them a musical education via your playing fair enough yeah um, um uh, have you been getting much music done during this time um you know what it's been it's been a bit of a on and off thing with me um i'm still having I still have my bass lessons. Since lockdown, I've upped them up. So I I used to basically have, um, and it, this is me taking bass lessons, by the way, not actually giving them. Um, I used to basically do one bass lesson a week. Now, since lockdown, I've upped, it, I've upped it to one every five days. So basically doing like about six, yeah, six lessons in a month usually, um, which has been really good and helpful. But there are times when I, there have been a couple of times when I've just not wanted to pick the instrument up. And then there have been other times where I've been, super duper productive practicing um you know riffing along to stuff and trying um i have started working on a couple of new riffs and things here and there um and i could probably finish the songs if i worked a bit faster but i'm kind of just going at my own pace so 
I'm trying to up my chops um, while at the same time trying to do some writing and stuff. So I'm in that weird kind of thing where I do, I'm writing, but I also am like, look, I want to improve a bit so I can include my improvement in there if that makes any sense mm. whatsoever. Um, yeah. And I think when lockdown first started, like you'll hear, like I, I saw lots of people being super productive and I was like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not being as productive and I would kind of beat myself up a bit about it but now I'm, I'm kind of okay with it I've kind of like you know I'll play how I'll play and how I feel and yeah some days I, I want to pick it up other days I look at my base and I'm like mm, you know um, but and you mentioned plugins and stuff I have been buying an awful lot of plugins this last month <laughs> what, what have you got <laughs> my bank account's getting a spanking <laughs> I'm not a good Ray um, uh, so um, I went and I actually um, bought the Fortin Cali uh, from Neural DSP, oh, so yes. their new amp sim. Even though I probably won't use it that much. Funny enough, what convinced me to buy it was I did see someone actually doing a bass kind of demo on it, and they actually got a really good bass tone out of it. But what I, what one of the things I've liked out of it, it seems like people can get some really nice sounds also with some single coils, and um, it's it is a it's it's modeled on the 14 cali amp so it can do really good heavy tones as well but um it seems to be a, quite diverse so i was like okay i'll buy it and also they had it at a slightly cheaper price so i was like why not um just as an introductory price then yesterday i went and bit uh well i bit the dust or i bit the bullet whatever you want to call it i don't even know what i'm saying here um i basically um Neural again, Neural DSP. They've been having flash sales of their plugins, where they're offering basically fifty percent off each plugin for thirty six hours. The sale uh, ends and then they move on to the next plugin. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, they saw you coming. <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> they've seen everyone coming. Trust me. And I I, I haven't bought anything, uh, but I was waiting for the Dark Glass plugins, which were the first plugins they actually released um, to be available. So I bit I, my wallet basically took another hiding there and i spent some money on that and it was a 50 percent off as well so that's why i bought it don't, so i've now got the dark glass hardware though i've got the uh, alpha omega ultra this is the this is based on the b7k so right. slightly sli yes and the vintage pedal as well so slightly different um i've got the parallax as well plug in so i've got it means i've got a little bit more kind of options mm -hmm. you know um, and I only bought it because it was on 50%, to be honest with you. Um, and I think the thing for the dark glass is if I just want to plug in and try and get a slightly more just clean tone or something a little, not not as full-on gritty, I'll be able to use the dark glass uh, plug-in for that. Mm. You know, I can I can just basically have it with a, just a little bit of like, just a little bit of kind of like, you know, coloration from like the B7K and do a couple of things. And um one of my other reasons for buying it is, I mean, since lockdown, I've been doing a bit of research into um, uh, impulse responses, cab impulse responses. Yeah. So, I've yeah, I've been doing a lot of reading into those and looking into those. And it's, it's a great way to kind of like, the thing is, I mean, you know, so many people are buying all these kind of like plugins um, nowadays. So, we can all end up sounding the same. And one of the ways to sound different is maybe to use impulse responses. And there's a lot of companies coming out with those. So my thought was, if I get the dark glass, I will then I'm going to potentially look at some impulse responses of some cabs 
and just maybe buy a few and they're really really cheap as well you get you can get a pack for like 10 pounds you can get like all sorts of different packs from like celestian to um ml sound labs there's so many out there and it's really really good quality so i i'm probably going to buy some at some point i just need to research which ir cabs i want Mm. Um, and it's just another way to add, get a different flavor of sound and experiment. I, 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 obviously for myself, I'm going to get for bass, but in terms of like when I've got you recording or when I've got like, you know, other, when we've got other friends, guitarists recording, I want to get just one pack of guitar IRs as well. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't know if you've seen, but there's a, there's a producer called Jens Bogren who's, um, who runs Fascination Street Studios in Sweden. Uh, he's, he's one of the reasons for that iconic kind of like Swedish metal kind of sound. And he's released his own IRs recently as well. And they've been hugely popular. So uh, those are ones that I'm keeping an eye on as well. So yeah, I've just impulse responses are really, really kind of intriguing me now. And I'm kind of like, yeah, I want to try them out just to experiment and have more kind of options on the table. I mean, I don't know. Have you, uh, what have you looked at many IRs and stuff before? Um, like in uh, the context of like Ampsims, yeah, we've um a couple of the ones that Ampsims that you've got have got those sort of IR loaders. So just like using even just from the ones they've got in built, just sort of like changing that can have quite a, a big impact on the sound. And it's um yeah, consider it's it's one that I've had a look at. It's, I don't tend to use um a lot of amp sims and that sort of stuff when i'm playing and recording by myself that usually comes up if i'm doing something with like your george um that comes up that way um so yeah we've had a little look at irs in the past um but no like it does make total sense to um sort of personalize these sort of digital bits of gear by doing these like easy switching combinations yeah yeah, so I mean, I'm just quickly having a look at the Celestian ones, which are like I'm kind of probably going to maybe you know buy them because it, hey, it's Celestian, and they're you know they're, their speakers are the best speakers in the world, and like pretty much in most amps, in most cabs. Um, I mean, what's good about the the Celestian ones is that they seem to be very sort of systematic about it. So for any given speaker, they've got like a few different um, mics and mic angles and stuff yep. like that which means that you can then sort of like keep in, in the same way that you would have a, your amp in the studio that you might mic differently to keep the same flavor, but in a slightly different vibe. They sort of give you those options as well, which is um, pretty handy. Yeah, so basically um, looking at the bass ones, they've got basically three different microphones, a Sennheiser MD421, a Neumann U47, and a AKG D D112. Uh, and they've done them in six different positions as well. Yeah. And the same, um, and those, they're the same six positions they use for like regular IRs for what they've said. Um, so yeah, you've, and then you get that. So you get all the different mics included and then they've got, yeah, quite a few different speakers here that are used in like bass cabs. So part of me, and I think they're only really like the packs are about 10 pounds. It's, it's, it's crazy how, how cheap they are. And so many companies are releasing them, and there's just um, I, I I wouldn't mind getting one or two Ampeg kind of um, cab mm-hmm. IRs because it would be good to just have that classic kind of bass sound for a cab 
kind of thing you know um just it's always good to have to hand i think so yeah um and it'll just allow me to kind of like you know i love the dark glass neural stuff i absolutely do but i don't just want to be just dark glass and neural you know um so to be able to maybe have some kind of like ampeg kind of irs um maybe some ashdown irs as well you know i use an ashdown really small cap myself I think it's just I think it's a great way to mix and match stuff and I'm seeing people on like all these groups on Facebook and places doing some really cool things where now a lot of what some people are doing because they've got multiple neural DSP plugins they're they're basically using the the amp head on one neural DS plugin and then using the cab section on another one via two different plugins um which right, is really yeah. really cool yeah so people are like mixing and matching so I think I think it's really really cool and um, you know IRs are like definitely and there's so there's some really good free ones out there as well. So I'm definitely gonna have a look and maybe like buy you know just get some free ones and just get a couple of packs for about ten to fifteen quid and then just you know I've got the options there. So yeah, and that's, I think that's, bass as well. There's like a big difference in the sort of classic sounds of like your four by twelve, uh, sort of four by ten cabs usually, isn't it for bass or the one by fifteen. You know, you get a very different sounds just depending on the the size of the speaker and because you've got those sort of very low extended notes that the size of the speaker is going to be a, a big impact on that as well so you know that's yeah seems like a, a good uh thing to look at and certainly um <laughs> a bit friendlier on the wallet than buying the equivalent <laughs> number of amp sims <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and i mean to be honest um you know um so it's it's a case of i can the good thing is for some of them i can just use the neural actual plugins and just fire those kind of irs in and where i need to buy use an ir loader um you know um i will they're really really cheap to buy like they are they are stupidly cheap to buy the ir loaders and they're all kind of really good so uh i, I think that's yeah, I mean, going to be some fairly straightforward principle there's a, a few free ones out there that and as far as i know like um lecab is, is one yeah, of the bigger Lecab um freeware ir loaders yeah lecab's pretty good um some people say it's a bit it's a bit more um because it's got a, i think there's a lecab too um and because it's got a lot more options of what you can do in terms of it's a bit more uh heavy on the on the cpu usage um but there's yeah there's there's so there's so many um like yeah. great ones um out there uh, and then i mean i don't know if you've seen recently um like two tone have released like um a, a kind of hardware thing where they basically have uh kind of like it's 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 basically a load box but it also allows you to like use use it to load irs as well um and it's 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 kind of goes up for like price wise against the um ua um audio load box that they released a while back i can't remember what it's called now but um yeah that that looks i mean i'm not going to buy that but that even gives you the option of you know using it in like a gigging situation where you've got this load box and you can then put your irs on it and then send it to like you know front of house and and, and you're done but it, it just sounds great to i've seen a few demos of it and it looks amazing and if you basically you know want to be able to use your massive like valve amps you know and that load box looks looks brilliant and for the price it's about 400 quid which is a lot cheaper than the ua um side of things and it allows you to you know put in quite a few irs yeah i, I mean I, if i had a valve amp a valve like bass amp or something i would definitely get like something like that but n no need to but um yeah and 
yeah, looking at IR loaders as well, the most popular one seems to be Lancaster Audio are the ones that seem to be quite popular. So yeah, just I've kind of it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a rabbit hole thing though. Um uh, impulse responses you can get really really caught up in there because there's so many people doing it i mean what i would like to have though for impulse responses and stuff is obviously yeah like get lots of like dirty amps and stuff but some some stuff was like some slightly more cleaner stuff as well you know um so that we kind of again got options you know don't necessarily always want high gain kind of stuff um there's plenty of that stuff around um but also just to get some slightly more kind of cleaner kind of like ir cab kind of stuff as well yeah yeah yeah, no it's if you can have a range might as well have a range yeah (laughs) yeah exactly exactly that so yeah so so that's that's kind of been like i've been going down a bit of that kind of like black hole and researching that kind of stuff um and just like looking at what 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 options there are out there you know um especially with everything evolving so quickly with with plugins and stuff and like you know they're, they're becoming so reliable and so good to use so yeah that's that's been a bit of kind of research and stuff for me and a bit of jamming here and there and that's yeah that's pretty much it so yeah um so i guess we need to talk about some stuff on this podcast don't we i mean that's generally the idea yeah okay um, <laughs> some might say that's that's all a podcast is <laughs> yeah especially when we call audio ramble we better ramble about something then so um okay well i mean we can qu- quickly just to mention i mean we are an audio podcast but um i mean we've both stepped up our podcast setup now um uh, w- one of the things i'd been using obviously previously to record my podcast was through a um what was it the uh, blue snowball usb microphone which is good and it's decent, but it's a USB microphone and I've got, you know, I wanted to start using my uh, my audio interface. So it was time to buy an actual proper microphone. Um, you use the uh, blue, don't you? Uh, which blue microphone do so you I've use got, I've got the, the blue Spark. Um, yeah. Which is not totally dissimilar to the, the Yeti, um, but it's um, got like an XLR input rather than a USB input and... Um, yeah, it's a bit more general purpose. Um, yeah, and, I, th- th- and yeah, so a... my one is like like the the um, uh, the Yeti and some of the other microphones we've been using. It's the the large diaphragm condenser uh, microphones that does have like certain advantages in the sound. But we've we've got a couple of that sort of microphone. So what what were your sort of thought processes when you were like looking at new microphones? I was I was looking just at podcast specific microphones because uh, you know ones that will allow me to record voice because that's that's where I'm going to use them by far. If I'd if but I I was basically looking at it has to be you know within a decent budget. I didn't really want to spend more than ideally 150 pounds tops. Uh, if I'd had a bigger budget, I would have just gone and got an SM7B straight out of the bat. I would have not even thought twice about it. I would have got that because that would makes a good. That makes a great, like, you know, just microphone to record a podcast, but also a great vocal microphone as well, and two-in-one job done. But, you know, I just couldn't justify this, not not at the moment, spending, like, £350 on, on, on that microphone, um, you know, 
uh, especially because I needed to buy a few other things. And also, I've spent money on plugins. So, yeah, mm-hmm. partially my fault there. <laughs> but yeah, um, if, if money had been, I would have just got the SM7B because it is just such a solid microphone. Everyone, it just does exactly what it says. And it, the sound quality is so good. But um, yeah, so I just basically had a look around at what kind of like, you know, podcast specific microphones there are, which there are quite a few. And there's loads uh, in the like 50 to 150 pound range. But generally, if you're looking at XLR, they start, the XLR one uh, microphones start coming in at about like 75, 80 pounds upwards. Um, so th- the main ones that I saw was uh, Rode. The Rode have quite a good range in in the um, XLR, like hundred to hundred and fifty pound range, and then um, the microphone that I did end up buying is uh, Sontronics. Um, so it was just a case of looking at what there was, also seeing what's in stock. Um, you probably realise this as much as anyone, but since lockdown, the amount of people that are recording podcasts has gone through the roof exponentially. I mean, when we started this podcast, there were already like, you know, what was it? We started this podcast like 18 months ago, maybe there were already loads of podcasts. And since <laughs> since lockdown, I think that's probably you could, you could say that's at least doubled or tri- tripled. Like uh, there, there's so many people on my social media timelines who are doing who are recording their own podcasts on all manner of things, which is awesome. Um, but it means that the equipment is just getting bought up really, really quickly. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. Um, when I was looking as well, like it was a case of like, well, well, how quickly can I also get this as well? Because I did want to record a podcast soon because it's been ages since we've, since we've done one. So, so yeah, um, that, that, that suddenly became a factor, but I went with the Sontronics one because yep. Um, it was in stock, um, where I did buy it from. Also, um, I re- I read the review sound on sound review that you pointed me to as well. And they, they said good things about the microphone and I always trust what they, what they have to say. Um, and the great thing is if, you know, if, if this, if I had, if I didn't like the microphone, I can always return it. But so far it's, it's been really, really good, really easy to use. Um, so yeah. Th- uh, and what little testing I've done of the sound, it's, you know, it picks it up really well. It's, it's made for kind of like, you know, radio as they call it or, or podcasting. So it ticks all the boxes. It came in at just a hundred, under a hundred pounds. Um, I, Yeah. It it just it was as simple as that really, <laughs> you know. Uh, that that's that's all it came down to pretty much, and it works. Yeah, and one of the other things that we we talked about before, like, before you you got it was that it was a um a dynamic microphone rather than a, con- a condenser microphone. So they you know work on slightly different principles, um, have a slightly different sound, and and uh, a lot of the sort of classic broadcast microphones are of the dynamic type. So. I mean, at the minute, I'm I'm listening to you talk over an internet connection. But once we've uh, actually put the the podcast together, it'll be interesting to sort of hear um, how much of a, a difference tonally there is between the sort of two microphones we're using. Um, hopefully, it's yeah, uh, good. Yeah, yeah. I I think I think uh, well. I mean, that's one thing I'm looking forward to is hopefully um, when people do listen to this, they'll, they'll notice the improvement in sound quality. Um, the don't get me wrong. The Snowball is is a really good microphone for fifty pounds. If you want a starting microphone and you're on a budget, I would definitely recommend the Snowball. Just go get it. And if you don't want to w- deal with like XLR cables and you know you don't have a audio interface, totally hundred percent go with it. Um, you know I I've used it on so many different things on some YouTube voiceover stuff on you know with on the on the podcast it was like the main microphone I'd used for ages. 
but yeah it's it's a usb microphone and it does have some limitations as well um and also just the stand it came with sat really low so i was always hunched over because you know i'm quite tall so yeah it, it, it was it was actually a bit annoying just constantly sitting there hunched over um you know ending up having backache after um after recording an episode of a podcast i mean who knew that recording a podcast could be strenuous <laughs> so so yeah um but i i wanted to you know i've got i've got an audio interface i've got a daw uh you know we talk about audio uh, i should be recording this properly so yeah recording now straight into straight into cubase and yeah we're talking obviously over zoom uh, it'll make things audio wise a lot better um and i mean yeah if people out there are interested in like you know recording podcasts and stuff there's I know Sound on Sound have their their free shoe for June. Is it for June? Uh, it's mm. all about podcasting. Yeah, and you just have to basically sign up on their website, and you can download the whole PDF magazine. And usually, the magazine's about what six quid. And you know, as someone who's got many many issues off off um, Sound on Sound, and you and I have spent many hours reading those magazines, you know, they know what they're talking about. So yeah, if you if you are thinking about doing a podcast, go and check their kind of. You know, go and check out their free issue off their magazine kind of thing, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, on the subject of podcasts, have you listened to any podcasts or are you listening to any podcasts at the moment that are, you know, either while you're, while you're, while you're working or I know maybe while you're working might be a bit difficult or just in general, you know, when you're just chilling or doing whatever? Um, I mean, at the moment, not really because I'm not going anywhere. I've kind of gotten into the habit of using podcasts as something like when I'm commuting. So I'd I'd been listening to some on the way sort of to and from work, but now that commuting involves sort of um, opening a different window on the computer, that's, that's not really long enough to listen to a podcast. Um. <laughs> no, that's, that's... See, for me, that situation is with audiobooks. So... I haven't listened to any audiobook since I've stopped commuting because while driving to and from work, I would always listen. Most of the time, I would listen to to an audiobook, and that would be my time to listen to an audiobook. Um, whereas while I was at work and sat at my desk, and let's say I'm not in a meeting or I'm not talking to anyone, my, my headphones would be on, and either I'm listening to music or I'm listening to a podcast. Um, so while, I, while I've been at home, there there are times when it's just like you know it's just really quiet in house or I just need something and I find a podcast helps me to focus. So I've actually been getting through a fair few podcasts, um, you know, and there are just so many out there. Um, and there's been a combination of like music podcasts and, um, kind of sports, you know, podcasts as well, just depending on whatever my mood is out there. But yeah, um, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I use audiobooks like in the way you use podcasts and yeah, I, I haven't, I've got all these, audiobooks to listen to through audible uh which <laughs> and it just keeps um increasing because i just keep adding like you know i've got the subscription so i just keep buying a new audiobook with with credit which is great but i'm just like at some point i need to sit down and listen to these so yeah maybe maybe i'll just get in the car and go for like a two-hour drive <laughs> just so i can listen to <laughs> you know because uh, i can't I, I, don't, I don't think i can just sit there in the living room and listen listen to um listen to an audiobook and it's, it's weird like I can't do it while I'm doing work because I need to concentrate on the story um and whereas a podcast I can kind of glaze in and out it doesn't require as much concentration so so yeah 
Um, but yeah, um, so yeah, uh, so at least we've got like new, hopefully better sounding podcasts for everyone to listen to out there. Um, and hopefully their, their ears will appreciate it. So yeah. Um, okay, let's kind of move on to other stuff. So um, obviously music wise, you and I have both been doing a little bit here and there, but uh, let's, should we talk some gear stuff? Yeah. 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 Gear. Anything, anything recently or, you know, while you've been in lockdown and probably like spending hours on the internet, you know, as well as seeing what's going on in the world, but just, you know, you look at stuff that you're lusting after or stuff you want to buy, anything that's caught your attention recently or anything you're like, you know what, I definitely want this one day when I have unlimited budget and, you know, if I I could afford it. You know, the unlimited budget, there's lots of, the one that's, um, caught my eye recently and i will um try and find a way to um test drive at some point is uh walrus audio who regular listeners will know i'm a big fan of as a company uh have released a new overdrive the ages overdrive and there's there's a couple of features which make it interesting um one is that it has sort of like five different overdrive circuits which you can select between, which is which is quite nice. Uh, but the the feature which did catch my eye is that it, as well as having the usual gain and volume controls, it also has a blend control, which is one oh, of nice. those features on an overdrive which is surprisingly rare. Um, at, at least in the six-string world. I know in in the bass side of things, it's a lot more common for distortions and overdrive to have that bit of blend um, just just to retain the sort of low end that um, tends to get lost yeah. a little bit when you start to, to overdrive. Um, but it's it's such a rare feature on a on a six-string overdrive, and it's it's a really useful way. I know that whenever we've been doing anything um with sort of like recordings stuff blending a bit of clean and a bit of overdrive together can sort of you know give it that definition of the clean stuff and that sort of um undistorted bottom end while also giving you the sort of the girth and thickness of that sort of overdriven sound and yeah no it's it's a feature which i'm is just a, a surprise that it's um something so rare to notice it you know i'm sure obviously i'm not not suggesting that walrus are the only people who do that but just in general more Mm. people should do you think i think it's becoming more and more a thing because people want to be able to have that flexibility they don't want to be able they they don't want it like you know a hundred percent or nothing they want to be able to have that complete Mm. flexibility and to be able to manipulate their tone you know through whatever you're firing it through you know and yeah having the blend is like just really really key to that i think it's becoming more and more prevalent you know um and it's it makes sense because yeah people people don't necessarily you know it makes i guess it it makes your pedal then a bit more versatile when someone's using it for different styles of music yeah exactly yeah yeah, oh no, it's, that 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 sounds really really cool. Yeah, um, so I mean, for me, I've I kind of just like I mean, while like you know sitting there and spending hours in front of watching 
Netflix and you know any other show and binging of course you naturally are usually on your phone and checking some form of social media and for me it's usually like Instagram and looking at guitars and things and um, I mean one of the things over the last I'd, I'm going to say over the last year I've started to get a real hankering for in the bass world and no one seems to do this is telly uh, so I love um, telecasters um, you know Defender Telecasters I love the shape I absolutely love that T-shape yeah um, the choir I, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah considering your 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 very first guitar, guitar was a, like a, a kind of a Squire Telly right or some Not form of Squire so yeah my first electric guitar yep. was a <laughs> sort of no brand I mean I think the brand was something called like Legend um, one of those right, really vague nice. names that you can't even Google <laughs> properly um, <laughs> um, Amazing. Yeah. Was it legendary though? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, it's, it's still somewhere in the uh, the parents' attic. I might try and sort of like fish it out someday and see if I can pimp it up. But yeah, no, that was so that's that sort of like imprinted on me as a, a very sort of like definitive um, guitar shape. Yeah. But yeah, like not don't see it so much for the bass. Uh, you know what? So, so when I first saw your telly, like you know, when we when you when we were what like sixteen and we first started jamming, and I I, I liked it, but I was I was never like, oh my god, the telly shape is amazing. I kind of thought, oh, okay, it's cool, but it looks a bit old fashioned, you know, because I'm guessing sixteen year old and seventeen year old me was a lot more into kind of like looking at guitars that were a bit more angular and you know, God knows. But I didn't and, have and to be great fair, electric then. guitar designs don't get much more old fashioned. It's, it's yeah. you know, one of the uh, oldest. Yeah. And as I've kind of like over the last few years, I've really started to appreciate the telly shape. And, you know, so much so that I kind of prefer it over a strat shape way more. And yeah, you're right. I've so I, the more I've seen it, the more I'm like, I would so love a bass guitar that has a Telecaster body. And I started doing some research because the more I look at Telecaster, I'm like, why am I not seeing bass guitars in this? It makes no sense. I can see guitars, but I can't see bass guitars. So I started doing research, just looking into, are there any brands out there who even do it? And pretty much I came across, I came across a few things. And um, so the first thing was I, I looked at Fender. I was like, okay, fine. I just went in and typed, typed Fender Telecaster bass, you know, because I'm like, surely t they must have like released you know, something like that. A company Fender with one did of most release iconic design bodies would obviously, you know, take that body and just put four strings on it. It's, it's the most obvious <laughs> business decision in the world. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, you, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> You'd think that, and considering you know the P base looks very, very much like a Strat, you know, um, and and there's you can see a lot of similarities. And the between jazz the bass, bass is clearly related to the, the jazz master as well. Yeah, exactly, and I think you can even get a mus you can get a Mustang bass as well. Yet, um, typed in Telecaster bass, and the Telecaster bass that Fender used to do, I don't think they do it anymore. Doesn't really. It looks a bit like a Telecaster, but it looks like a warped Telecaster. It's not the Telecaster body that I love. That kind of rounded kind of thing yeah, on top, and then the single like not really sharp horn. You know, yeah, that's the thing that the the. One of the, the key features of the Telecaster design is that it's a single cutaway. And yeah. the, the Telecaster yeah. bass 
is is a, a dual cutaway, and it just like, that's why are you calling that a Telecaster? It also looks really stretched. The body, like mm. when I looked at it, I just, it's look it's like someone's like kneaded dough and stretched it on one end a bit too much, and it's a bit like kind of thing, <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, I was like, I was like, what? So f and I, I was do doing a bit more digging, and it's like Fender actually have never done a full blown base with a Telecaster body. I don't know why. There, there's obviously some thinking behind this, or they never got round to it, or they just thought it wouldn't sell. I have no idea, but it's crazy. So I was like, okay, that's really annoying. Now, what Fender or the nearest thing to Fender did a few years ago, I think this is going back to 2011, Squire released um, a, ki a kind of um, kind of base. So uh, a Telecaster-shaped base. Um and I'm going to actually try and find it, which is going to take me an absolute... Uh, no, I think I found it. Yeah. So, basically, they released something called a Squire Vintage, uh, Squire Vintage Telecaster Bass. It only got released in, I think, about 2011, and there were only about... Uh, there weren't very many actually even made and they they lasted for about two years and then they they, they stopped making them um so basically you can find them on places like reverb um and you know they're, they're extremely rare and quite sought after and and apparently they've got quite a decent sound for what they do you know because they're not the cheapest telecasters i think they, they sold at about like 300 pounds so in terms of the telecast in terms of the squire range they're a mm. bit more further up than your basic ones they look really nice they do them in the white body it's got the telecaster body uh, you know with the black pick card um and it, it just looks so good i've actually managed to bring one up on reverb here right now and the only problem is like i said they did them for about two years they stopped doing them and now they're like really really just sought after and they they sell really quickly um and some of them don't even sell at all now which is really really annoying um and i've i've looked at everywhere to try and to try and get one um you know um i mean i've managed to find one here on chicago exchange music for 243 pounds but the shipping's 206 pounds you know it's just not <laughs> <Yeah>. gonna happen <laughs> um but so it's it's really really annoying um so un unfortunately they just didn't run with those um and so you know people have bought them and look, kept them or they've been sold and then other people have kept on to them i don't blame them so, yeah, so that was kind of disappointing. Now, I actually, funnily enough, did come across a brand that do an actual Telecaster base. And they're a small, um, they're a really, really small brand based in Argentina of all places. And I only came across them, I think, randomly scrolling through Instagram. And the first picture I saw was they do a bass guitar with an actual full-blown Telecaster T-style body proper proper classic t-star body and with a nice humbucker pickup as well a like music man style pickup they're called veal guitars like v-i-e-l guitars and i i'm literally following them because of this guitar unfortunately for me they're based in argentina and they're very very small i think it's just literally like one guy maybe two guys working on these guitars and basses um, I th you know, and they look amazing. It's an actual proper style, T-style bass. They're going to start doing them in more colours as well. And if I could, I would so go ahead and buy one. It looks absolutely amazing. I'm like, oh my God, it, you know, it lo just looks so good. In fact, I think it has, you can either get it with one humbucker pickup or two, uh, 
two pickups on neck and bridge and yeah it's uh and with a with a, uh, i think it's a flamed maple neck i mean yeah it uh, either way it just looks brilliant i'm like i finally found a brand that does one um but they're so far away and if i wanted to order one god knows how much it would cost would they even be able to ship to the uk would it even you know it would probably cost me an arm and a leg and all sorts of hoops i'd have to jump through um so yeah so so that's one place now the other place that i didn't realize and i should have done that does them or does a t-star shape is gnl which is obviously leo fender's other guitar brand he came up with after he left fender um i didn't know that they actually did a t-style bass i i've i've never the gnl brand i've never really followed it that closely i know they do amazing um they do amazing guitars and basses you know and they are you know they're very very high quality but i just i i never actually knew that that it did a t-style bass so i was doing a bit of research just like again telly style bass and came across these and found that gnl do a telly style bass and i was i was shocked but also happy i mean they are again they're quite rare they're quite expensive. They're, they're, well, I mean, they're clocking at £1,600. So you're looking at above the £1,000 mark. But, man, they look... It looks amazing. I think I, I sent you a photo of it yesterday. And it's... I mean, it's in yeah. sparkly red. And I'm not... You know me. I'm not... Like, I don't think the colour's my kind of thing. But, damn, I just love the shape of it. And if I had £1,600 in my pocket right now, I, I would get it. But, yeah, I mean, you've... You follow GNL a bit more closely than me, haven't you? You 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 know a bit more about them. They're one that I've I've kept an eye on. It's sort of um, as I said, the, the Teddy style guitar that I had was um, a sort of you know a a learned instrument. It was it was uh, affordable. Um, one, one, <laughs> one of those sort of nice. guitars. Um, uh, so yeah, no, it's sort of like it's definitely on my. Uh, dream guitar rack to to want to have a something in that sort of style and, and the uh, GNL they they call them the ASAP don't they the, the Tele style yeah um, it's an ASAP in in some kind of sparkly candy red yeah. uh, they just call it red but yeah some kind of like sparkly it's, it's it's a yeah it's a shiny finish it's not matte but just the simplicity of it with the two humbuckers just the just you got the three knobs on it and yeah. It's amazing. It just looks brilliant. Um, I'd, I'd personally, um, you know, and it's just got the rosewood neck. Yeah, it just it look. I just love that shape. I don't know why. I really do. Um, it looks absolutely brilliant. Um, so it's like there's there's a few there that do it. Now, in my ideal world, <laughs> if I was to get a T style base, or if I could get a custom base made totally for myself, you know, um, where I could choose the body, the neck, everything and how it looks you know uh, so basically a money is no object thing i would get basically have it a t-style body have it multi-scale with fan frets obviously and have it headless now i don't know i mean i know some people will hear this and just want to scream into a pillow when i've said something like this because it will be like sacrilegious what i've said basically multi-scale and headless with a t-style body but i think something like that would look absolutely fucking amazing i think it would look brilliant the only thing that i've seen that comes close to that is the kiesel zeus headless base um which has a slightly t style shape to it with the single cutaway 
I think the horn's a oh, little bit yeah, sharper. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The horn's a bit sharper and the, and the curve on the side is a bit more pronounced. But it's got that kind of vibe to it. So, I mean, that's why I'm I'm thinking that my next bass will eventually be a Kiesel's use because it's got that kind of body shape that I really, really want. And I do want my next bass to be a headless one as well. So, yeah, I think that would be amazing. If I could go to Luthier and say, right, make me a bass. I want it to have a T-style body. I want it to be multi-scale, headless, you know, come up with something for me um, with the neck to be either either maple or kind of um, ebony, either or, um, you know, um, some, something like that, something that stands out. Yeah, I, th I think that that's what it would be. I mean, I don't know. What what, what, do, what do you think? Do you think something like that would yeah, sell? Yeah, no, <laughs> well, who knows about selling, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. With the, the sort of Zeus, they seem to have tried to sort of like um, – beef up the body a bit to try and fit it but what I, I sort of really liked um, about that uh, Argentinian one that you showed me the other day was how it, it sort of very much kept the, the telly body the right sort of size and then just, just allowed it to have the sort of sort of longer thinner neck and it just sort of it, it came across as quite an elegant telly and it was yeah lovely um yeah, it, it it does look amazing. And I think they're going to... The, th the thing is, all their page, uh, everything they do on social media is in Spanish. So wh when they post on Facebook, I'm fine. I can hit the translate button. But on, <laughs> on Instagram, I'm I, on Instagram, I'm always guessing what they're saying. But I've 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 put, I've commented on a few of their photos and been like, man, if I could get... A, seriously, like if I was nearer or, you know, if I could figure out a way to get this style of bass over to me, I would, I would definitely buy it because... I I think I think the telly shape is really really underrated, um, and I, it just amazes me in the bass world how it's 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 so underrepresented. I think there's just a, there's a market out there for people who, if you could get a telly style bass done really really well, um, you know, and you could do different variations on it. I'm not I'm not saying you have to do a version like you don't have to get it all ultra hyper super modern you know with fan frets and and kind of headless you know that's that's just my preference right now i basically um i really really want to get a headless bass and i really want a t-shape so in my mind i'm like just put the two together for me someone and the nearest thing i've come across is a kiesel otherwise i would i would you know try and i wouldn't try and do it myself because me trying to build a bass would be absolutely horrendous but yeah um you know i i would definitely go with something like that or the gnl asap you know in it 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 looks amazing and i'm sure it sounds absolutely brilliant as well um you know so yeah i i'm very much set on getting some kind of t style shape thing in my life when it comes to bass guitar um and i yeah i just I, even the t style guitars you know when i see even other brands doing their take on t style i'm just like that shape there's something about that shape it looks really really elegant um and it just looks it's got a classics Thing to it but i don't know what it is you know i just there's something about it and i know um t-style guitars can be a bit marmite for some people you know i know some people can't stand them but i also do see a lot of like kind of like metal guitarists and other guitarists who do actually play them and um you know um i think you can get some really cool interesting sounds out of them definitely yeah no t uh, yeah tell is great um, yeah yeah 
So yeah. So yeah. yeah. If 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 anyone out there wants to basically make me a uh, bass guitar with a Telecaster body, that's a Telecaster guitar body, not a Telecaster bass body, by the way. Um, with multi scale, please five strings if possible. Otherwise, I'll take four and headless. Con- get get in touch with me, and uh, you know we'll we'll see what we can do. Uh, cheap as possible, please. Thank you. You know. <laughs> Um, so yeah um so yeah uh anything else you've been looking at eyeing up or anything that's piqued your interest uh nothing i mean obviously i you know frequently browse around but nothing like massively jumped out um recently Mm. so okay i mean well let's kind of slightly switch the switch the discussion here now like obviously while lockdown's been going on, like a lot of a lot more people on social media, kind of like trying to stay in touch and doing things to try and keep the mood light and get people involved. And one of the things that's been going on, I mean, it's been going on before social media as well, but kind of we've been seeing more of it is like the chain stuff, where you know you list something and then you nominate someone else to do it. Um, and one of the things that's been going around, I've seen it go around before, but um, it seems like it's it's come around again, and it makes sense. Is the 10 days 10 albums challenge where you basically have 10 days um you list each day you just put a cover off an album uh, what what is it like no explanation no nothing just 10 albums and then you nominate someone else to do it and it's totally up to up to the person you nominate whether they want to do it uh funny you nominated me to do it uh, I nominated yes. at least four other people before I stopped nominating anyone. And out of those four people, I think one, yeah, one person Chris did, did it, do he? it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris or Fez, as he's known in our circles, he he definitely did it. Um, he did it as a good joke, which was kind of funny. He puts he put some proper random albums. There. <laughs> he did, yeah, in- <laughs> including no less. <laughs> he, a- <laughs> he actually messaged me and asked me if he if if I had the copy of my old band. So. As you remember, I was in a back just towards the end of uni or when I left uni, I was in a band called By Courage By Arms where I played bass and did vocals, um, kind of did vocals alongside uh, one of our other friends. And we did a few gigs before we kind of, you know, just disbanded and we all moved on our separate ways. But we released a EP and um, yeah, Fez, one, <laughs> Fez wanted to put that up. So he contacted me and was like, do you have this cover? I actually didn't. I had to got, get in contact with our friend Anthony, who did because for my stag he made my T-shirt, which had my, which had our EP yeah, yes, cover. Yes, yes, yes. yes, and then with that you, so it's, it's it's a cover of it's the EP was called Reaper's Grimace because you know metal, um, and it basically had like the Grim Reaper's face set into the moon. But what you guys did for my stag oh, was superimposed. <laughs> Ed Sheeran's face onto the moon because obviously you want obviously you were going to get me to wear Ed Sheeran's face on my stag that you know just goes without saying so yeah so he wanted he wanted that album cover which I had to kind of I I did manage to get from our friend Anthony but anyway um that aside I mean you you did it you nominated me so we did the 10 albums now obviously on the social media post we didn't explain it but I thought you know it might be a good thing just for us to just have a chat through, you know, because it's it's ten albums that have influenced you. So I I I sometimes had to do a bit of thinking about which album I was going to put up, and there's at least two or three albums I 
didn't put up that I could have quite easily and I should have done. Um, and maybe I just forgot about them at the time. Um, but I was also trying to think of albums that have like kind of, you know, influenced me from all over kind of like, and I didn't just, you know, I could have quite easily made it like 10 very just metal albums, you know? So yeah. Um, let, what, I mean, should we start off with what, whatever, what kind of albums, what albums you put forward and what you kind of, you know, maybe your reasonings well, behind some of them. Yeah. I mean, I think that the thing for me was that the, um, uh, the, the sort of like, de- description that i've been given uh for what the the challenge was is albums that greatly influenced my taste in music yeah Um, and it's which is not quite the same thing as like favorite albums or anything like that is is it sort of it suggests ones that had then led on to me listening to things that i wouldn't have done if i hadn't have listened to that album yeah um and it, it it did mean that it kind of made things skew towards um the things i liked when i was you know at that teenage stage where i was developing my own taste because though that was the times where the, the the things i got there were the ones that led me on to other things and led me on to other things so it's not necessarily like the best reflection of 10 albums that i listen to all the time mm. now and I'll, I'll be honest i did like because it didn't say the most influential, I did sort of like try and balance it a little bit by by not just going <laughs> <laughs> picking sort of like ten albums from Teenage Mark's collection, um, but like <laughs> Teenage Mark did dominate it because that's you know like the, although I listen to a lot of things now that I didn't listen to then the sort of you can trace back why I became interested in that sort of thing from listening to X to the listening to why that I listened to because the guitarist was on it from that album, you know? Um, and so it, yeah, yeah, it did mean so, my taste tended to skew fairly teenage and I'll be honest. Um, the, the list is very much mostly, um, white male guitar bands and if you know, what are you going to do? Um, uh, I, I, I mean, yeah, yeah, say, say, same. If, 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 if I, if I'm being like really, really honest. But how about this? Um, why don't you uh, go go through your ten? We can, we can, we'll both go through our ten that we named, and then we, why don't we both, if add, uh, we can then both also say five other albums we would have included if it had gone to fifteen. Because I know there's at least, there's at least, well. Two, two, uh, two or three, maybe. I think I can think of five extra albums I could have included in that if it had been a fifteen-day or a fifteen-album challenge. But um, yeah, if, if you go, if you list yours off first, and then I'll 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 go, and then we can yeah, kind of like you know, just chat if you want, give a small reason, you know. Yeah. So um, the first one that I put was uh, Bert Janch by Bert Janch, and that man is, you know a massive influence on me as a guitarist it's sort of like that album sort of changed my definition of what good guitar playing is you know um yeah the the man is incredibly talented and he just he plays in a way that just speaks to me and you know since i heard that i've been uh, <laughs> you know chasing that that style and i i have to say the probably one of the ones that i i didn't get a chance to put any pentangle um, in the list, which was his band, 
I did feel it was sort of like a little bit pushing it to to have sort of two albums that he'd been on. Um, but they did, you know, combine lots of things, and I think like lots of um, jazz influences and stuff that opened up doors for me in music. And and actually, the um, I, I did sort of stick a jazz album in the list. Um, and the, it's um, the the album I put was Charles Minx's "The Clown," but the reason I bought that album was because um, Pentangle did a, a cover of one of Charles Minx's, um songs, which sort of led me to him. So that was yeah. There's sort of a bit of double logic there. Um, what else do I have? <laughs> Um, the second album I put was um, uh, Kristen Hirsch's Crooked. Uh, I love Kristen Hirsch. She's put so much music out there. Um, I went with Crooked because it was the first one that she released under her... Um, she was one of the first people to move towards the sort of crowdfunded model of listener-supported rather than being the sort of music industry model of of sell-out or starve Um Sort of trying to sort of you know connect to the audience, and Crooked was the first album that she released under that model. Nice. So that's that's sort yeah. of why I went for that one. Um, not like the first album of hers I heard, but the album that sort of like opened up the the next stage in her career. So um, yeah. Uh, next one I put was you know one of my. This was another one where I was sort of like trying to sort of branch a little bit beyond what, what Teenage Mark was listening to, and that's the Endelicates, <laughs> um, who, who Teenage Mark would have loved, um, but I, you know, didn't discover them. It was more early 20s Mark, yeah, or mid-20s Mark, yeah, right? exactly, yeah. Yeah, um, that, 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 that's absolutely loud. That's 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 the kind of um, viewpoint I took, not only just teenage Vish, but, like, early 20s Vish as well, kind of, you know. Exactly, yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, and... That was the first album of theirs that I sort of properly listened to, and uh, uh, David Koresh Superstar, um, which is a a musical um, about the. You've been uh, to see them quite a few times, haven't you? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you've been to see them at least once, haven't you? Um, <laughs> I've dragged uh, you along once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember once. Yeah. Um, oh God, it was it was quite a few years ago now, but yeah, I, I definitely remember. Yeah, we we went. Um, yeah, I can vaguely, I can, I can, def- and I've even been to see Bert Janch with you, which was at, was it at the Jazz Cafe in London? In yes, that Camden? was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was um, a brilliant gig. Um, I guess for people who don't know who Bert Janch is, he's like you know massive or like one of the go-to artists in the folk world. Am I right? He's with that? An incredible folk right? guitarist. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'll, I'll get to sort of like how I heard about him later on in the list, but um, sure. Uh, next one I put was, uh, the Velvet Underground and Nico, uh, by the Velvet Underground and Nico. Although, of course, the album Classic cover album. is just the banana saying Andy Warhol. Um, yep. <laughs> Classic album. It's such a great album cover. It's such a great album. Um, I, it's, they're, the, the Velvet Underground were the sort of, one of the bands that a lot of the bands that I listened to listened to. Sure. So yeah. it was one of those that some of the 
the bands that are going to come up later in in my list um they were like yeah you know my favorite band was the volatile ground so obviously I, I went to them and they, yeah no the, the first album in particular is, is them exploring a whole bunch of ideas and it's just um like I would have to include it just if I just by counting like the number of albums that I own by the Velvet Underground or Lou Reed or John Cale or Nico, you know, I've <laughs> even sort of um, ignoring any other bands that sort of I might have listened to because I suddenly liked this stuff. Just the one, just the people involved on the album have produced a decent chunk of my music collection. Um, I've, I mean, I've, I've gone through about half of mine now, and actually, as a being back up my stream this is the the day where you started um posting yours so do you want to do a like half of yours sure, and then yeah. I'll, I'll sort of sub back in yeah 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 yeah. of course so yeah, yeah i got tagged by you i i i knew that was going to happen so i was kind of like okay yeah cool I'll, I'll definitely buy and do this why not it's, it was a good kind of like thought process thing and kind of to do um definitely so yeah i started off with um with deftones white pony now uh I love, um, you know, uh, this came out during the massive whole new metal era of like when everything was really, re you know, new metal was kind of like ruling the radio waves, um, you know, like late 90s to early noughties. And um, Deftones was like probably one of, well, it's been Deftones' biggest album to date and they're like the most famous album. It's, it is an absolute great album from like the songwriting to the production to all the kind of guitar effects and everything being used um it was the album that i listened to where when i first started playing bass guitar i was like i want to sound like chi cheng the deftones bassist at, at the time mm -hmm. um and how can i sound like him and also i didn't know it but eventually producer or audio engineer vish um would come to really really love the snare sound so i love the drum kit sound on white pony um i'd never kind of like you know i didn't look into it back then but um going back on it i also loved the production because it all sounded amazing and terry date who produced this album he's an absolutely amazing produ uh, producer in the genre um and the snare sound he gets is just so amazing it's just a really really great snare sound it's it's got that snap to it it's got that ambience to it and um basically i've got you know stephen slate drums five and I went and bought the Terry Date pack. And my main reason for buying the Terry Date pack is the album White Pony because I wanted that Deftone snare sound. And <laughs> nice. Yeah, exactly. Years later, it comes back around. And so much so that when, I, when I'm when i jamming stuff now or when I'm writing stuff at the moment, you know, I've, I'm working on a couple of things just where I'm just playing along with some drum beats. I always have it set to the drum kits on the Terry Date pack and always the kits that sound a lot like those Deftones drums. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, for me, from a production standpoint as well, as well as from a songwriting standpoint, that album just captures so much. And also, I was a teenager when I was listening to it, so it's got a bit of angst to it. It's very atmospheric. Um, it can be quite visceral in places as, as well. Uh, and it's it's a bit different from your standard um, new metal kind of uh, album, just because... It's not it's not rap metal, you know. There's not loads of rap metal going on there, and Chino's vocals at times can be really, really haunting as well. Um, so yeah, I, it's it's just a great album. It's really pop. It, you know, it helped me to get into more and more heavier music. And funny enough, I came across the album because of my brother. 
um, you know, my younger brother had a lot of friends at school who were listening to this kind of music and he was picking it up of them. And funny enough, I was picking it up off him and also some of my friends at school. And to this day, I'm a massive Deftones fan, um, you know, and I still follow what they do. But this album is like their, you know, I'd say it's their magnum opus. It's it's just, it's brilliant. Um, then the next one I put, I wanted to kind of change it up because, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm big into my rock and metal and, you know, that's, that is what I love. But I also really, really love ambient music. And the one ambient album that Teenage Vish really got into and really started exploring, I was uh, Walkie Talkie by Air, which um, I think you'll remember. It came out while we were in sixth form. And um, I actually remember going and buying that album. Um, I'd heard the lead single off it, Cherry Blossom Girl, which was absolutely amazing. I was like, you know, it was actually on heavy rotation on XFM at the time. And I was like, this sounds really cool. It sounds really chilled out, really gentle, really nice and amazing. And, you know, it's so something different. And it kind of it kind of resonates with a different side of like my kind of personality and stuff. Like, you know, I don't always want like music at 100 miles an hour. I do like it to allow to like just breathe and just have a kind of atmosphere. Um so yeah, uh, I bought it literally off the back of that one lead single and then I listened to the album and yeah, absolutely love the album. It's 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 a great album. There's so many different kinds of kind of tunes there from slightly more dancier, uh, more upbeat to just, you know, really kind of um kind of like gentle kind of mood kind of music. I mean, I think it's been one of their biggest albums because um I think one of their biggest tracks is Alone in Kyoto, which is featured on so many different films and TV shows. I know it's film, it's featured heavily on Lost in Translation uh, and so many other different... And, like, since then, a lot of their songs are featured on ads and stuff. It is just... A, it's, a, it's just a... It's for me, like, in terms of, like, that ambient, chill-out kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a seminal one. And, again, to bring it back full circle, um, we actually had... Uh, cherry blossom girl i think it was actually playing at our wedding we had it there while people were being seated for our for, for the wedding ceremony as well um because it is just such an amazing it's a it's a brilliant song i absolutely love those guitars um it's, it's crazy you listen to the vocals and you think it's actually two women singing it and no it's actually the two guys from there um so yeah brilliant brilliant album uh and then next one um i went with um something a bit more recent so again not teenage fish this was more uni fish you know in my early 20s listening um scar symmetry holographic universe which uh came out i, I don't know maybe 2004 5 i could be wrong um you know but basically it's an amazing uh melodic death metal album um you know um it's abs it's 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 full on quintessential swedish melodic death metal the vocals i this is the last album that scar symmetry did with their vocalist christian alverstam before he left um and his singing is absolutely brilliant and his growling is just off this world and then just the riffs combined with the synths it's it's a very very epic album the title track holographic universe is just seven minutes of an seven or nine minutes of an absolute roller coaster ride that pulls you from side to side um and they get that blend of like melodicness then going into heavy really it's just done really really well it never seems forced it just all flows into each other natural and 
yeah, to this day, I will quite happily listen to that album from start to finish. Um, and it's been one that I've listened to quite a lot when like driving everywhere. So yeah, I can attest to that having often been your passenger. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, uh, yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it, for me, it's, it's a brilliant kind of like melodic death metal album. It's, it's why I love that, that kind of genre so much, you know, and it's one of the things that helped me to really appreciate and really be like, right. I love my metal to be heavy, but I need melody in there as well. Um, Next one is um, is Velvet Revolver, um, which they released their first album, I think, when we were about 17, 18. And, you know, it was it was quite a big deal at the time because it was pretty much like, what, three members of Guns N' Roses and then um, what's, um, uh, Scott Scott Weiland from uh, Stone Temple Pilots, um, who's, who passed away, um, I think, last year or year before, sadly. Um, but it was their first album. Uh, contraband and at the time i was listening to a lot of guns and roses and rock this is like you know i was kind of going in between new metal and rock and this album came out and listened to it heavily and we were also in our first band together at the time um yes we so were. yeah we were and one of um the guitarists we got on board um our friend cap was big into his guns and roses and big into slash like slash is his, is his idol you know um and he was a you know he was a phenomenal uh caps phenomenal guitar player um but obviously when this album came out we were listening to it a lot uh we also covered um slither which was the lead single on our second gig i remember i did the vocals for that i was on i was singing that actually funnily enough so the amount of times we rehearsed it and the amount of times i listened to that album during last year of uni and first year no sorry during the last year of like going to school and the first year of uni and then also going and seeing them live as well at the Apollo um in Hammersmith so yeah it it was it was quite a big influence at the time you know uh 19 year old Vish was listening to Velvet Revolver heavily um and getting into kind of like that kind of rock kind of yeah that was a period of my life when I was really digging that just hard rock sound yeah um I think Slither might I'll have do been one the, more the first song I long to learn to play in Drop D, you know. Um, uh, yeah, actually, yeah, you could be right. <laughs> like there was a the the um, Rage Against the Machine track that was used in the Matrix. I think was also like I learned around the same time, which was, it was one of those two with the first two I, I used in Drop D. But yeah, um, if it was Velvet Revolver, then they they probably deserve like a, a higher list. Uh, place in my list of influences than I give them credit for, actually. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, they they are just one of those times I can vividly remember the time period when I was listening to them and when the album came out, and you know they they were a massive impact because I did spend so much time listening to them. Um, you know, um, okay, I went on to listen more to more heavier stuff, and in terms of writing music, I don't really write that kind of rock style music, but I know how much off that style has influenced going forward kind of thing so yeah um so yeah uh do you want to continue with yours and then i will Wait, you, you do one more and then i'll get you halfway through your list okay cool so next one number which was number five you know was um i i decided to put down um all that remains this darkened heart which was mm. their second album um i started i came across all that remains Funny enough, because I'd been listening to a band called Still Remains. Um, they are not linked in any way, shape or form. But I'd heard about All That Remains, so I decided to give them a listen. 
Um, and at the time, this album had already been out. I think it was coming towards the end of their rotation, but it had been out. Um, I, I listened to it, uh, and I remember while I had a summer job during the end of my first year of uni and coming back to uni in my second year, I spent so much time listening to this album. I listened to it so, so, so much. I wanted to write songs like this, this whole metalcore genre. I loved the ferociousness of the vocals, how aggressive they were, but how, as a singer as well, the lead singer, Phil, um, was, you know, so kind of, you know, was able to really project his voice. And then the riffs as well. Again, they had that heaviness. They knew when to be heavy and then when to have, like, melodic solos. I want to have like a melodic breakdown as well. Uh, so yeah, um, probably t- two of like my favorite tracks on there are like Deepest Grey and Tattered on My Sleeve. Um, it's just a really, really just, you know, I'll be honest, I haven't really followed All That Remains in their last few album releases since the, the album that they released after this one because they kind of went in a direction that doesn't really resonate with me. Um, but this album, yeah, it was, for me, it was just really, really well written. Um just the energy it would get you pumped and i think it was just kind of like a right place right time album for me um and definitely when i went into subsequent bands in terms of trying to do vocals and things i wanted to do like aggressive this album made me want to learn how to do aggressive vocals kind of thing and i did do some lessons and you know did do it in subsequent bands for a little bit so yeah uh, that's my that's my first five let's uh Mm -hmm. get your second five all right um uh, the next one I put uh, was uh, REM's document. Um, <coughs> you got to have REM in there, really. Yeah, absolutely. No, REM definitely a huge influential band, and then like they were one of the bands that um, sort of like were talking about people like the Velvet Underground. So like they linked that. They were talking about that Patty Smith. So they got me onto there. Lots of I mean, loads of bands. Um, I mean, I think that actually as well the fact that they are a band who like in interviews and whatever would very much like give props to other, other people. They were a very sort of um, almost like a generous band in terms of their fan base and that sort of regard. Um, I went with, with documents, uh, not because it was the first REM album I owned. I actually got given uh, green as a present when I got given my first CD player. Um, nice. So just a little aside against CD players. I, uh, um, I did the, uh, a survey on the internet recently to get um, a sort of free orchestral VST, which I'll um, sort of have a play with and talk about on the next podcast. But one of the questions there was, how do you listen to music? And the options were like Spotify, YouTube, uh, vinyl or cassette. And it's just like, what? Does, does nobody listen to CDs anymore? Am I that out of... Huh. Anyway, um, yeah, document. Not the first album that I got by them. I, I that as I say was like one of the first albums that I got when I got my um, first CD player. Um, and you know, in case you're thinking that that my tastes just happened to be whatever I got, I, I will point out that I was also given a Dido album with that CD player. Um, <laughs> shit. Why is that not um, on your list, man? Why is Dido not on your list? <laughs> I mean, I suppose as, like, as, on, as an, she... as an uh, unfluence, it's like <laughs> after listening to that, I want to listen to like the complete opposite. Um, no, Look, man, um, she, she said she'd go down with the ship. You know, her, her <laughs> you know her songwriting is just so kind of you know. Oh man, um, yeah. No, but the, um, REM's document was one of the one of the first albums that I bought with my own money. Um, so nice. It was sort of yeah. Like, yeah. 
uh, and I think it, it deserves that. And actually, as well, I am um, <laughs> being sort of really geeky. I had to to look on the internet to find uh, the cover for the reissue of Document rather than the original cover for Document, just because um, the um, the bonus tracks on that um, were things like sort of B sides and covers, which also were sort of influential on my taste of music because they led me to other albums by REM, songs by other people. So, you know, um, that gets that. Um, the, oh, the next one on the list is The Clown, which I've already talked about. This, it's a, I, I mean, I've always sort of like mentioned part of, of why it's on my list, but it's a fucking great jazz album. Haitian Flight Song, sorry, Fight Song. Uh, Haitian Flight Song is a, like, as a, as a bass-driven track you know Charles Mingus has, has just got that real um like sense of power and urgency to it and as a as a band leader he's got everybody else sort of doing what they need to as well and it's it's a it's a fucking great jazz album um and yeah as I said that one sort of was was there as a sort of um indicator of how my tastes have sort of spread beyond just those core influences and into other stuff and stuff yeah um i've gone with a luke Haynes album next uh, i went with nine and a half psychedelic meditations on british wrestling in the 1970s and early <laughs> 80s um, didn't we go and see him play that live once or twice uh i remember going to see him play that live it was a really small venue and it was the middle of summer and it was roasting hot i don't we went to we went we, to see we, we have seen i thought we went to see him play um uh, New York in the seventies. The bomb. Um, we I've seen him play two of his albums live. I'm okay. pretty sure, or like two tours, because one I went to see when we went to see him in Acton, and the other one was somewhere in London in a really, really tiny, tiny ass venue. It was like super. It might be in Camden again, and it was the one where he played Nine and a Half Psychedelic Meditations live. Was the one um, where partway through Kendo Nagasaki handed around um, liver sausage sandwiches and then a bit later on offered around some LSD. Did you go to that gig? No, I don't remember anyone. I would have remembered if someone was offering up, <laughs> if Kendo Nagasaki had rocked up and uh, and offered me LSD. On a, on, a, on a quick side note about Kendo Nagasaki, <laughs> yeah. while we're at it, my old drum teacher was his actual wrestling manager because he used to be uh, in the wrestling business when I was learning drums. He used to be Kendo Nagasaki's actual manager, the guy who used to come out with him. That's hilarious. Um... <laughs> but yeah, no, I, no, I would have remembered it if, if Kendo Nagasaki had rocked up to me and be like, yo, bro, you want some... I'm not saying that he got, that's how he speaks, but, you know, be like, bro, you want some LSD and what? Some liver sandwiches. Liver sausage sandwiches. Yeah, yeah. no... Liver sausage sandwich. Yeah, okay, yeah, no. I clearly wasn't there for that one. It was two different gigs. So, yeah, Luke, Luke Haynes, um, I, he's a great songwriter in general. Um, but this album was the sort of start of his full-on um, concept album stage. And he's sort of seen, since released um, a whole bunch of, of concept albums. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's a great. It's one of my favourite albums. Um, what, what band was he in again? He was in the Auteurs and Black Box Recorder. Oh yes, maybe we also went and saw Black Box Recorder. I can't remember. You might. There's... I think you were with me when we saw Black Box Recorder. Yeah, that was, was it in like the last ever gig or something, and before they kind of split up or went their separate ways or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they hadn't played together for years, uh, and they wanted to release uh, yes. singles. So they did like a reunion 
ish sort of gig. Um, yeah. Um, nice. Yeah, I mean, I think like people who've been in multiple bands like are at an advantage for this list because it means that their sort of influence is able to sort of stretch out further. Um, mm. The sort of flip side of that, of course, is being a band that's had a load of members, um, and that's that's actually the, the sort of next thing on this list is the the uh, with Mind Bomb, um, yep. and Mind Mind Bomb I think was the the first album of theirs I got. Um, but the, the is basically Matt Johnson and a whole bunch of other people, and um, those other people um, sort of in, include well, actually Danny Thompson, who was the bassist in the Pentangle, did a song with the, the um, Jules Holland uh, did a kick-ass piano solo for the, the. nice um, uh, and yeah, no lo- loads of people, and so it sort of like was able to build links that way. So the the is a bit like it's it's obviously his baby and it's a bit like um well i guess trent reznor nine inch nails you know it's it's essentially he is nine inch nails and it's like lots of other people have kind of come and gone yeah or marky e. smith and the fall yeah there's there's a few of these bands yeah. who are um like there are there are solo artists who've had sort of like more consistently somebody else writing their songs and whatever um, in these supposed <laughs> bands, yeah, uh, but like one of the the key members of the, the for for the album that I I picked and I think sort of um, well I got into that album was uh, Johnny Marr from the Smiths, which is leads us to, to the next option. Um, look, Morrissey is a cunt. Uh, let's let's just get that out of the way. Uh, <sighs> yeah, straight up. <laughs> um, I'm like this. This is sort of like full death of the artist shit. I'm not, I don't, yes, yes, he is a racist shithead. I'm not excusing that. I am sort of just like uh, taking my reaction to the art for for what it is. Um, I love the Smiths. Um, It's a shame he's such a shithead. I went with uh, Louder Than Bombs, um, which um, was a sort of collection of sort of like B-sides and stuff like that. and it was like one of the first Smiths albums I got. Loads of great tracks on there, um, and yeah, the, they are a band that sort of hugely influenced my taste. They're, they're another one that did sort of name check people like the Velvet Underground and Patti Smith. Um, they uh, Johnny Marr also a big fan of Burt Janch. That's how I sort of like. Went. Yeah, I was going to say, did, did has didn't he also work? Because I remember you you telling me uh, that Johnny Marr and Burt Janch had well Johnny Marr's influence was. Bert Janch, but they've also like yeah once or twice yeah, yeah, yeah they did live. yeah yeah just um, pretty cool um yeah I saw them I did they did they play I'm pretty sure they did play something together when I saw them at the um, Meltdown Festival um so yeah no like the Smiths you know hugely important part of my uh, development of my taste in music and yeah like. Johnny Marr led me on to so, so many other great musicians. And like Johnny Marr has collaborated with so many bands that you get from there just sort of like following him, even like you know, ignoring oh face. You get so yeah, the the he worked with Billy Bragg, Kirsty McCall, um he was with he did like the Pretenders Modest Mouse and he was with the Cribs who I I still oh, I remember rate, Modest even, Mouse with him in it. Yeah. No, Modest Mouse are great and the the album that he did with them fabulous um so yeah no like 
a oh, electronic, um, which then sort of gets you to sort of like new order and joy. But you know, the Smiths are one of those bands that are um, very much sort of like doorway to culture, um, and you know the the way that. Um, I mean the al- the album cover of, of Louder Than Bombs has got um, the playwright Sheila Delaney, um, who wrote A Taste of Honey, which is a book I ended up reading because I was a fan of the Smiths. So even it even like beyond my taste in music, yeah, very influential band. And my last one um, is um, actually not an album by a band. Uh, it's a compilation from the 4AD record label. Okay. Um, so the the 4AD record label um, had people like, um, well, Pixies, I think, were probably their, their sort of biggest band. Um, I I actually got this album at a, a Breeders gig. Um, in fact, in that during that week, 4AD had a whole load of gigs on because it was their sort of 25th birthday. So they had a bunch of gigs on in in London. Um, But, you know, they've they've had people like um, Cocteau Twins, His Name is Alive, TV on the Radio, um, Throwing Muses. Um, So, you know, lots of... um, Yeah, 4AD had loads of great people on it. This album introduced me to a bunch of them. And actually, this was the same week that I say I went to a a Breeders gig and I... um, there was a Kristen Hirsch interview on the radio where she played a couple of songs, which was one of the first times that I really noticed her as a musician. And so that sort of like that kind of gets tied up in the sort of 1984 album. So it's, yeah, no, not an album by a specific band, but out of, there's been a few compilation albums where there's been, you know, which have pointed me in a bunch of different directions. And and this one, I think sort of deserved to be on there for sort of introducing me to the whole 4AD catalogue. Sweet. Nah, that's nice. That's a solid, solid kind of selection there. And yeah, it's it's kind of good to get like a bit of a insight into what your what your reasoning is like behind them and kind of why you chose them. Even though that's the total opposite of this whole challenge originally, which is kind of funny. But yeah, um all right, I guess I'll give you the rest of mine. Yeah, but the other so... point of the challenge was to do it on ten consecutive days and I, I took at least 14, 15 days to get mine done. So, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, uh, <laughs> Send the Facebook think, cops think... to arrest me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think I took 11 to do mine. I think that by, the, by the end of the last day, I was like, oh, man, I, oh, I forgot to do it. Oh, wait, hang on. Yeah, uh, I, I yeah, didn't assign you till day three or four, and I, I got my last one in like a couple of hours before you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so... Yeah, I'll, I'll finish off my list now. So after uh, um, I what did I, I mentioned all that remains uh, this darkened heart. So um, after that, um, Silosis conclusion of an age, which uh, that album I think came out in two thousand six or two thousand seven. So I was listening to it a lot in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, two thousand eleven. I still listen to this album a hell of a lot. Uh, it's I think it's technically Silosis's first or second full-length album. They'd released a bunch of EPs before then. But it's the first album I was introduced to uh, uh, by uh, our friend Neo, or known as Mark, who was at uni with me, who was in that band by Courage by Arms with me, funnily enough. Um, but yeah, I think he'd come across them listening, I think on, on, a, ra- on a radio show um, on the internet somewhere. Um, and yeah, um, 
I kind of listened to them. I was like, oh, who's that? So decided to check them out. And since then, Silosis have been like probably are up there as one of my most favorite bands. You know, always try and go and see them live. I've got every single album. Um, I've got numerous T-shirts um, and merch to, you know, try and support them. Um, and yeah, this album, I mean, all of their albums, I really, really enjoy. This album was their was the was the last album with with their vocalist before Josh Middleton the guy um is pretty much his band his baby who then became not only the lead guitarist and main songwriter but also the vocalist as well after this album but there's something about this album I just absolutely love the guitar tones I love the energetic riffs of it I, I listened to it so much and when I did and then when I started doing it really influenced like the existent zero kind of stuff. Um, mm, yeah. You know, when I, when, when I was, when we were writing that first EP and when I was getting like George on guitars, and I was like, look, this is the guitar sound I want. I want, and when he was doing solos, I was like, look, I want, like if you can do harmonies that sound a bit like this or like chugging riffs that sound a bit like this, um, just the sound and the production just always resonated. And I love the songs. They're just so energetic um and so much fun for me to personally listen to i think i've still got the cd sat in my in the in my car and it's still in inside the player it has not come out like it's always just there and like you know i can just hit, literally hit play and, and and it'll be there i mean i think anyone who's been with me in a car and like especially you guys when it came to when we used to drive to when i used to drive all of us to band practices when we're in playing in circles has probably listened to this album god knows from start to finish god knows how many times you know um and i know the album like the back of my hand you know it's it's one of those that i still listen to this day and just absolutely love it um some amazing songs and yeah it's it's helped to influence my sound also just um it's amazing to hear a a band you know especially in the metal genre just using like six string guitars you know funny to say that and just standard tuning they're not like dropping drop d or drop you know z tuning or whatever yeah and it just still sounds really really heavy it's all in the riffs and the playing and yeah the energy and everything so yeah i i, I it's just for me it's 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 a bit later on in terms of like when I came across this album, but it has really really influenced me i there's there's no way there's no way of getting around no, that's that. fair yeah by this point, you'll see this. There's just a full-on uh, theme of like metal because the next album I put on again, like uh, the Silosis album, a bit. I started listening to this album while I was in about like second or third year of uni, so a little bit later on. Like you know, as I'm approaching, as I'm getting towards my mid twenties, but it's still been a massive influence again in terms of vocals, uh, not in terms of vocals so much, but in terms of like write, writing riffs and uh, what I want, what I wanted to do when I was in my last band. Um, yeah, so Children of Bottom, Hate Crew, Death Roll, which, uh, yeah, I absolutely love um, Children of Bottom. Um, absolutely, like I don't know, there's just something over the top about them, and it's like really, really again energetic. Uh, like riffs you know can get really really heavy but then there's really like cool like melodies and cool solos and cool synth solos and stuff uh, it, again this is an album listened to so many times and just on rotation and they're a band that have kind of like influenced in terms of like wanting to write like you know faster energetic kind of like thrashier riffs uh yeah and i think it's an album you've you've listened to you've listened to quite a lot of children of bottom as well oh children of bottom <laughs> are great fun it's yeah 
there is something like cartoonish about metal that children of bottom embrace. Um, yeah, that it it's, is like it is such a ridiculously over the top, and you know some bands do that by taking it extremely seriously. Um, and that works, but Children of Bottom seem to have a little bit of a, a sense of humour to it that is bonkers and super fun. Yeah, yeah no. Yeah, I, I think that's what it was. I, I just love the kind of over the top bombastic sound of mixing those guitar tones with like those kind of synth sounds and getting that slightly, also that slightly neoclassical kind of vibe in there as well. And just, yeah, just kind of like, just, yeah. Just I, I just and Hate Crew Death Row is such a fun album, so yeah. Um, the, the Children of Bottom I had to put in it. Next one is I'm gonna uh, is Queens of the Stone Age Songs for the Deaf, which came out while we were in sixth form. Actually, it was quite a big album when it came out. It was like Queens of Stone Age's like biggest album, and um, yeah, I think it came out when we were in. Uh, yeah, I think when so. I, yeah. When, uh, for, yeah, funny enough, I think it came out when I just met you and like when I first joined the uh, sixth form at, at our, our school um, because I'd come in from a different school. And uh, yeah, my again, <laughs> funny enough, my little brother bought the album because um, he was getting big into Queens of Stone Age. I think one of his friends were. And he also, the lead single, No One Knows, had been released. And in the video, um, they had um, uh, Dave Grohl. As uh, because Dave Grohl did all the drums for this album, so he's in the video and he's absolutely smashing up the drum kit and the riffs are awesome. And I remember listening to to the track. And I'm like, oh, Dave Grohl's on drums for this album. I'll definitely check it out. And this album, yeah, the the drumming. And at the time, I wanted to actually be a drummer, so I was listening to it from the perspective of wanting to be a drummer. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's absolutely beating the shit out of that kit. The amount of like just absolute energy he gets out of it and those the drum fills uh, is just amazing, especially on a song for the dead and a song for the deaf. Just absolutely brilliant. And I listened to this album so much while we were like in sixth form. I remember going like all the time, like just having it on and just listening to it. And it was huge. Everyone was into it. Also, uh, Queens of the Stone Age were the very first gig I ever, ever went to. Funny enough, I didn't go to my first gig till I was 17. Yep, bit of a sheltered childhood um and also just like um i think when i was a bit younger i just didn't really have like there weren't like too many people to just go to gigs with and my parents would have never like taken me to like gigs to bands i wanted to see so yeah i remember my brother wanted to go and see them so i said i'd go and uh had a couple of other people come with me so first time i'd ever been to a gig went to see them and they were absolutely amazing they played for like nearly a good hour and a half and it was just i was like holy shit this their performance was so so brilliant so kind of they influenced me in terms of like i liked what they were doing sound wise also just seeing them like very first band i ever saw live um and yeah mm -hmm. next one uh i kind of had to put this in there and a lot of people be like seriously but i have to because 15 year old me was listening to this so much it's limp biscuit chocolate starfish and the hot dog flavored water which i'm sorry but like I, I i just own own it like you know yeah fine if we're talking in terms of like music theory or if, it, if we're talking like musically limp biscuit yeah people find them annoying people find them cheesy people find them lame but fifth 14 15 year old me was listening to you know at that time started listening to stuff like nirvana then corn and then 
this album came out and it it blew up huge and i remember buying it and i remember listening to it and being like holy shit it was my it was one of my holy shit moments like what is this this is this is i i really like this and i was i would listen to it again and again now hands up yeah fred Durst's voice is annoying lyrically this album is not going to do you know it's not going to win any awards for like lyrics like especially when considering you know the the title track of it is just fred Durst saying fuck about at least 46 times as he mentions in the song if you um it's probably more than that but still um one of the things looking back on this album is uh, it it helped to influence all my other tastes in music from subsequent onwards so in terms of like other albums uh other bands it, it was like my gateway album to helping me find more and more heavier bands and like looking at like different styles of like rock and metal music and also like tr- one of the things i gravitated towards straight away i remember is how much i loved the instrumentation of this album if you mm. there are on youtube there are actually versions of songs on this from this album without the vocals and if you listen to them and you listen to the guitar the bass and the drums and even the dj because um they do have that it's it's amazing to hear the musicality especially on the guitar riffs wes borland is an absolute monster of a guitar player and the way he approaches songwriting and writing riffs it's yeah it's brilliant when you listen to what he's doing what kind of effects he's doing and i've i've been exploring that more recently just like going back and listening to what he does and yeah he's such an underrated guitarist because limp biscuit is so much taken up by what fred durst is and because he's the front man of the band but yeah i i kind of had to include it because it's just for me yeah it's it's an album that kind of like started a lot of things off and got me to where i am now and you know what i can still listen to the album and still have a laugh you know i don't take it seriously it is what it is you know um and and it's just for me it's it's just yeah a really really good laugh so and then the final one i decided to end on was again something a bit more recent but something that's I was taking this also from a point of view stuff that's influenced me as 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 a musician, not just as like a listener. Um, yeah, I, I tried to avoid that because it's a very different category. But you no, know, I can see how you've sort of like um, shown the sort of dance between the two. Yeah, it's it's. I guess I guess I was I found it a little bit harder to separate that out. And like maybe once I've just mentioned this album, I, I, I can maybe mention one or two that like just from a listening point of view that had a massive influence on me. Fun enough, um, but Lamb of God, Ashes of the Wake, which is an absolute brilliant album. Again, this is an album I got into. I got into Lamb of God like you know around like two thousand seven, two thousand eight. So we're not talking like we're only talking like twelve, thirteen years ago. You know, I really, really got into them. Maybe a little, slightly, a little bit earlier. Um, you know, but it was, it was no earlier than about two thousand and six. I really started getting into them because at, at uni, a lot of my friends were listening to them, and I started like really paying attention. And this album, from start to finish, it's got that kind of like heaviness to it. The riffs are Mark Morrison as a guitarist is just like an absolute beast, uh, and then the drums as well. I just, you know. Chris Hadler's drumming is is just insane. Such a tight album. It's just so many great songs on it. Um, again, if I if I could write, I you know it's it's got that slightly thrashy vibe to it. Uh, I just love the 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 energy of those riffs. Um, and yeah, just 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 it, there's so much groove to it. I think that's what I really really enjoy about Lamb of God. They have so much groove, and that's one thing I've 
I want to always try and include as a musician, as a bassist, is always try and have that element of groove in things. I think Lamb of God and this album specifically helped me to appreciate that. Um, so yeah, that that was that was kind of my ten. But I don't know what if if you could have included I don't know let's say two or three more albums. What what would you have included off the top of your head? Or was there something you're like looking back on and be like, I should have maybe put this one in. Um. As I've already sort of like mentioned Pentangle um, as as being a band who like did influence sort of like my sort of follow up listening, but that I didn't put down because I'd sort of already got Bert Janch on his own. Um, it's my but them. Uh, the other sort of notable covers album, really randomly, like one of I think like Q magazine or one of those, um, had a month where. They were giving away um, compl- well. They actually gave away three compilation albums. So, you had to, so I ended up buying the magazine three times. Uh, one <laughs> compiled by each member of REM, and I oh, wow. I, I bought this magazine um, just before or like on the way to a holiday with some from friends at uni, and so for ha- yeah. we were on the like we we're on the Isle of Tresco. Um, and for however long we were there, this was about the only music we had, this CD. So it was the one compiled by Michael Stipe. Um, and, you know, the man has excellent taste in music. I've already sort of, like, talked about how R.E.M. influenced my taste, but it, this was sort of like, yeah, we had a few days where we, ha- we had just basically just this to listen to, and, yeah, obviously I ended up getting, yeah. like, a, buying albums by a few of the bands from it um, afterwards. Um, so that's one that, that might have gone in there if I was sort of trying to go really obscure <laughs> yeah th- th- there's that there's that thing of sometimes i guess like it's a psychological thing you're like oh i want to like show my obscure side and show that you know i don't just like what everyone else likes out there i guess like sometimes you, you but you just want you just need to put like stuff that's actually influenced you yeah i guess um, and then you, you can have maximum two more two more I, oh, you could be here all day mate <laughs> uh, oh, no no of, of course you've got to draw the podcast to so, a close you're allowed two more no no, no uh, uh, of course so one i could have I'm, I'm going to stretch it and say three but only oh. because one i would have should have should have definitely added is um uh is um filter amalgamate which um i listened to a lot when i was in again about 16 17 it came out in about 2002 2003 um, and it was an album I heavily listened to, and it was I was listening to it at the time as I was beginning to play, take up the bass guitar, and like get interested in writing songs. So it's and it also resonated with me at the time of my life, and just like you know, um, it it was it 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 had its like kind of somber moments and stuff. And I was like just at the time in a new school, trying to find my place and trying to figure out what I was doing as well. So it it kind of resonated to me emotionally i also liked it from a musical standpoint so i i could have definitely included that one in but i didn't um it's 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 a bit of a marmite album i think for some people who do follow filter because at the time when it was writ- written um uh, richard patrick who's actually um the brother of um the guy who plays uh the, T- the terminator in terminator 2 uh, always forget his name um but yeah, he's the younger brother of, of him. But yeah, he was he was kind of like heavily on drugs at the time, and I think with some of the lyrics and stuff, you can tell. But I still like some of the, some of the tracks and the the lead single uh, "Where Do We Go From Here" is is one that I 
I still listen to and I, I still wouldn't mind at some point trying to do my own kind of take on it on, on a cover version of it because I really do like that track so yeah I'd, I'd include that and then thinking about it if I was going to go so this is where I'm going to put two extra in I, I would need to put in something like a bit like Victor Wooten um, because I when I started picking up the bass uh, I was pointed to him and to listen to him um, by one of the, one of the guys we used to go to school with, Ashley, who was actually a really really proficient, amazing bassist. Um, yeah, I'm sure you remember. And mm, he was yeah. actually so he, yeah. And the thing is, he was so helpful to me in terms of pointing me to the right direction of like people I I might find interesting to listen to. And I remember listening to Victor Wooten and just like being like, oh my god, I didn't realize you could do that on bass. And this is what jazz bass sounds like. That's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, this is, this is, how do you even do, it blew my mind. So uh, as an influence, like, yeah. Uh, and I just loved the songs and listened to, to so much. So yeah, I'd include some, include some there. And then one more, uh, and this is like really going back from, from, to my childhood. I'd have to include, um, this is going to be totally random, is, um, is T-Rex. So <laughs> my dad used to have um, T-Rex's album. I can't remember which album. I think it might've been their best off you know, their greatest hits album. And I remember I listened to it so much as a kid and I was just, I was blown away by like the production, the sound of it, what's going on. My, my young ears were like, oh my God, this, this, this sounds amazing. And I, to this day, I still love like some of the T-Rex songs. I can I quite, you know, if my dad puts them on, I'm, I'm sitting in a car with him and he puts them on. Yeah, you know, they're great like 70s kind of glam rock, which my which funny enough, it sounds really weird, but my dad was really into his glam rock, which you couldn't even picture or really imagine. But yeah, T Rex were I really, really like their songs. They're super catchy. I'd There's love something about them. They sound really, flares. really big. Yeah. So I think those would be like kind of <laughs> It's all about the sequin flares and the glitter on the face, you know. Um it's it's all about that. But yeah, Mark Bolin was a he's an absolute legend, you know. Um and yeah. So I T Rex is 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 one of those kind of like throw that a little bit out there. Now it's it's like, they're like a band that I came across like you know when I was like four or five, like really really young, and listening to them just straight up because of my dad kind of thing, you know. But even to this day, I'll quite happily listen to them because yeah, you know, and they kind of were a, were a big influence in and helped to i i guess they helped me to always to start getting into the rockier side of things rather than just straight up pop awesome cool all right mark so i guess until the next podcast i'll see you later keep on rambling hey guys it's fish out here if you enjoyed listening to this episode of the audio rambling podcast make sure you check out our other episodes available on spotify itunes and all other good podcast services and before I go, just one more shameful plug, because why not? If you want to check out some of the music projects that we've been a part of and we talk about in the podcast, head over to the Orbital Decay Records Bandcamp page, where you can listen to our tunes for free. We also have a page on Facebook. Just search for Orbital Decay Records. And as the cool kids say, like, share and subscribe. Thanks for listening and keep on rambling. Keep on rambling.